Hi, and welcome to another installment of Pull Yourself Together with eShaver Booksellers. I am Melissa. I am Jessica, and we have a very special guest today. Mary Kay Andrews is here with us. Hello, everyone. Very exciting. So we're going to talk about a, a few books we've been reading, a few books we love, maybe a few books by dead authors that we hate, and um, not that we hate a lot of books, but every now and again it happens. And, um, and then ask Mary Kay a few questions. Sounds good to me. All right. All right, Jessica, do you want to start with what uh, you want to talk about this week? Okay, sure. So I have been in this very strange kind of COVID reading group of people who don't know each other that well but wanted to do something, and they asked me to lead a book group, and we're reading the complete short stories of Flannery O'Connor, and most of them are very unfamiliar with them, and most of them are not native Southerners. So it's been a very interesting ride. Um, so far, we have read Revelation, we've read The Enduring Chill, A Good Man is Hard to Find, and next week we're going to read Geranium and The Temple of the Holy Ghost. And then I think they're all going to decamp and we're going to read something different. But um, I will say that it has been fun revisiting these stories. If you're not familiar with Flannery O'Connor, she was quite a rebel for her time, um, a female writer who wrote things that were shocking to many Southerners, um, and she's from Savannah, Georgia, so I feel like it's a great book, if you're living in Savannah, to pick up. Um, her short stories are a wonderful place to start. I would say if you don't know anything about her, I'd almost read her letters first, The Habit of Being, because it's a little better than a biography because you get to know who she is and why she is the way she is and why her stories are the way they are. And then when you're reading the stories, you're not so shocked as to what's going on. But they're not for the faint of heart. Um, I love her writing, but I think if I could skip reading A Good Man is Hard to Find again in my life, I probably would because I find it so incredibly unsettling. What do you find unsettling about it? Because I will admit, because I am not a native southerner, I'm not from Savannah, um, no. I have never read Flannery O'Connor. Um, Flannery O'Connor is not an author that we were assigned in school in the North. This is not, I'm, I'm not familiar with her work other than what you've told me and the, the trips that we've gone on. Like we went to her home in Andalusia. Yeah, yeah, we went to Andalusia and she saw the peacocks and everything, but I still have not read Flannery. Have you been to her, the O'Connor house down the street here? Yes, yes. I have been there for, for some events and things. Yeah, and Cody who uh, runs it over there is one of our favorite all-time people. And I've world. never been in there, so I need to do that. Oh, yeah, you definitely absolutely. need to do that. Yeah. Well, A Good Man is Hard to Find starts out kind of on the front steps of that house in Savannah. And it's a grandmother who's living with her, her son and his wife and their three children. And she would like them to go on a trip to Tennessee, but he wants to take his family down to Florida. And she... Um, uses several different means to kind of get this to happen so they go to Tennessee. Basically, she just makes herself a royal pain, but they decide to still go to Florida. But then on that trip, she makes herself a complete pain, and you really don't love anyone in this story at all. And so they leave, and they drive. What makes it so weird for me is growing up, I spent a lot of time going between Savannah and Jacksonville, and this is kind of the old route that they took before I-95 was there. And so they're going kind of down through Ludowissee and that whole area, and I can picture it so vividly. And she's such a master with crisp 
concise wording. Um, and her characters, even though the story is like 12 pages, you're, you're invested. And so, um, so they, they start heading down and they end up going on this bypass. And it turns out that she's brought her cat along because she didn't want to leave the cat at home. She was afraid that it might hit one of the gas burners and asphyxiate itself. And we all know what good traveling companions cats make. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it just, um, it, I don't want to give too much away if you haven't read it, but it starts out a little bit lighthearted and you're kind of thinking, oh, these horrible people. And it ends very darkly, like shockingly darkly. You can't believe. You're like, well, I thought it was going here, but wow, she went there. It for To have been written in the late 50s, early 60s, I mean, this would have been a shocking end to a story. So... Um, and it, it haunts me. It's one of those images that I can't get out of my brain. Okay. So, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, a book that I've actually been listening to on Libro FM. It is the Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner. And if you've listened to any of these uh, episodes, you'll know that Jessica and I are unabashed Janeophiles. Um, but what really drew me to this is it's narrated by Richard Armitage, who is Thorin Oakenshield from um, The Hobbit, and he could be reciting the phone book, and I'd be happy to listen to it. Um, <laughs> so just a beautiful narration. Um, it is set in Chawton, um, and it starts in between the wars, but the majority of the action has been happening in 1945 after the wars ended. Um and it is a very disparate group of people who come together and are trying to find a way to honor Jane Austen's memory and to to make something for uh, tourists to come and visit. Because they do have people that come to the village of Chawton to see where Jane Austen lived because she's becoming very popular. Things are going to auction, you know, all of these things. The Knight family's estate is kind of crumbling at this point. Um, they don't have an heir. So um, they really would like to do something and create an actual museum and something for people to come and pay tribute to Jane Austen, who is from their hometown. So I've been there. Yes. And um, when I went on my Jane Austen tour, and I've been to Chawton, and I've seen the house, and I've seen where she wrote and her writing desk and, and all of it. So um, so they did a good job in the end. Um, yes. Well, so, it, yeah, it's about finding a way to, to honor her. Yeah. And um, it, it's much appreciated by fans like me who make this weird pilgrimage. But um, I always think it helps to see where a writer writes. Because just like with Flannery O'Connor, if you go to Andalusia, you see the dirt road that she talks about in The Enduring Chill. You see where the cows were milked. You can see the barn. It's it's all right there out her window. Um, would you say this is true? I have not been to Andalusia, um, but I have been um, to Mark Twain's house mm -hmm. in um, Hartford, Connecticut. And... Um, Right beside it, and that and that was an amazing experience. And right beside it is um, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, no, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe's house is right beside uh, Mark Twain's house, and so that's an interesting, yeah, juxtaposition. And then on that same trip many years ago, I talked my sister-in-law into driving me to Concord mm -hmm. to see um, um, the Alcott House. Oh. oh. 
would be, yeah, I would like to, yes. That's it. That that would be a good birthday. Yeah, the Louisa May Alcott house is really neat. And you see, she bought a soapstone sink for her mother with her first earnings from her writing. And these little crookedy, you know, very tiny stairs. And, you know, as you know, and I read Louisa May Alcott as a girl and always identified, of course, with Joe. So to see the garret (laughs) where, you know, the young Louisa May wrote was just a, a great experience. And I've also been to the Hemingway house, but that's a different thing. I think that's very theatrical mm. in well, Key West. It is. I, I have been there as well. Although the cats with the six yes. toes are still there. But <laughs> yeah, he re- he had such a varied right writing life. Um, I, I walked the Navarro Trail where mm-hmm. he wrote um, about um, The Sun Also Rises. Right. And, and that was very... Um, you could, you could see it all there. And when I read your books, having grown up in the South, I mean, the way that you capture a certain kind of Southern woman <laughs> is absolutely perfect. So, Well, and I imagine that people who stay out at your houses on Tybee probably feel the same way of getting to stay where a writer writes and kind of getting to know a writer through where where they write. Yeah, I think, I, I think there's some of that. Um you know, it's not set up as a writer's refuge or anything like that or a writer's retreat. But, yes, they love knowing that some of the books that they've loved were set there or were written, you know, parts of them were written there because we live full time in Atlanta. But we're at um, Tybee a good bit. We we ran away from home Saturday. <laughs> um, and so we've been down since then. Now, I haven't written a lick, but we've been there. Well, so if you haven't been writing, I assume you've been reading while you've been quarantining. What have you been reading recently? You know, I wish I could tell you that I had ripped through dozens of books and I had every intention of doing that. I've been um, I've been anxious and um, distracted. Um, I did start reading um, a book that will be out in July by a friend, Kristen Harmel's The Book of Lost Names, mm-hmm. which is historic fiction set in... Um, Nazi-occupied France, and I made myself sit on the deck yesterday in between doing stuff, because this is the launch week for my new book, Hello Summer, and I I read 40 pages, and I thought, okay, that was great. That was great. I've also started reading um, um, Lisa Wingate's new book, which is the book of lost friends. Yeah. Uh Yes. (laughs) Which is a little bit, you know, disconcerting. And uh, Jamie Brenner's new one, which came out the same day as mine yesterday, um, Summer Longing. So I have I have those books, and it's not that they aren't fabulous. It's just that I've had so much distraction. Oh, that's totally, totally understandable. I, I've, I've got nothing like a book launch going on. However, I will say that Jessica and I have talked about this a lot Um and I, I saw a post online talking about it, and it was saying, you know, they've, they've understood people having writer's block, but right now people have reader's block. And it's just people are so anxious and aren't able to really focus on anything for, for too terribly long. I know you and I talked earlier. We've, we've both been um, engaging in baking and carbohydrates. <laughs> so, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I can, I can third that because yeah. I, I've, I've got a new pet at my house named Sourdough. And um, it is like having a nest of baby birds on your, a smelly, <laughs> smelly nest of baby birds on your kitchen counter. And, um, yeah, I, it's 
so I read one book, Lily King's um, Writers and Lovers, aloud to the cats because I just couldn't focus. And so when I came in on Sundays, I would read about 40 or 50 pages. I hear it's a great read. Oh, it's a great read. It really is. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was very satisfying. Um, it It's definitely a writer's story, and it's definitely a coming-of-age story or coming-into-oneself story. Right. But her descriptions of grief and the loss of a parent mm-hmm. and kind of that depressive fog that you wander around right, yeah. making bad decisions sometimes, yeah. making good ones. But um, it, she just captures it in a way that really brought it home to me. So I was I was very impressed with it. I, I think I mentioned last week that I probably would never try to write a book because I don't think I could do that well. <laughs> well uh, you know, I think people um, – assume that the first time you try something you do it well and I think that's sort of a paralyzing thought um I had never written a book until I made myself try and it's just like people who say well I can't play the piano well if you practice the piano you will play the piano and I think I don't know maybe it's just a conscious decision to um to ignore or overcome your terror of the page well I in talking to a lot of like debut novelists, right. they always talk about, you know, yes, this is their first published novel, but right. this is probably their fifth or sixth novel. And there are plenty of them that are never going to see the light of day. It just is the process of writing and just getting better at it and practicing. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's the, the daunting part is um, now that I spend time with so many different authors and hear their different approaches and ways of doing it and i've really enjoyed the um what you're doing with your group oh Um, friends and fiction fiction. yeah that that was that was really fun to watch and hear all of you talk about your writing processes um and everybody's a little bit different yeah we're Um, all very different um we write different kinds of books and approach it from different directions and um so we've en- we've enjoyed it. You know, it grew out of a, a Zoom happy hour where I said, well, we were all emailing and messaging back and forth. And I said, why don't we just get on a Zoom call? I've got a Zoom account. And um, it sort of grew out of that. Well, it's it's wonderful. It, it really, um, it was inspiring. And I enjoyed listening to everybody. And I appreciated everybody answered me back about whether they were a, a plotter or a pantser. Um, and we learned that term. You remember Catherine Coulter? Were you there for yeah. that? Mm-hmm. She She's definitely a pantser. Um, but we do a mystery series up in Hilton Head, and we've got to hear a lot of different writers that we normally would not have Right, heard. yeah. And, um, yes, and it's interesting to hear all their approaches to it. But it is daunting to think of sharing that part of yourself with someone else. I guess when I think about it, having to join a group and have other people look at your work, I I would be intimidated. You know, I was a newspaper reporter for 14 years, and the and the first book I wrote, I wrote in in the darkest secrecy I could find because I didn't want to say the word writer out loud because that was that was preposterous that I would be call myself a writer. I'd been a reporter my whole career. I gone I had a degree in newspaper journalism. I'd worked in newspapers for 14 years, including at a big city daily. But the audacity of calling myself a writer uh, was really um, too much for me. It was very intimidating. And, it, and when I quit the paper 
and had to have business cards made because I'd become a novelist, I didn't know what to put on my business cards. <laughs> novelist, artist. Wordslinger. Wordslinger. I like that. I put bookseller on most of mine. I like wordslinger a go-go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so talking about writing, uh, so Patty Callahan Henry, who is a good friend to all of us, yes. uh, posted on, I believe it was Facebook, a post like saying, happy book birthday to you for the launch of Hello Summer. And she was talking about how she remembered when you first started writing this book, you were sitting at her kitchen table and kind of despairing that this was never going to turn into something. Is that a feeling that you have often? Is Was that new with this book? Yeah, um, I'm always intimidated. You know, at the start of a book, I I feel euphoria. I, I liken it to starting a diet. Like, wow, I've got a great <laughs> idea, and it's going to be super, and I'm never going to eat another carb again. <laughs> and you start out, you know, woo, hopes are high, and you write a few pages, and then you get into what I call the saggy, soggy metals. And then that's the depths of despair with um, Hello Summer. My editor called me, and we've done 11 books together. And she said, oh, I want you to write a book called Hello Summer. Isn't that a great title? And I said, no, I hate it. (laughs) And she said, you could set it at a newspaper. I know you've been wanting to do that. And I had been for for a long time, but she wouldn't let me. Um, She said, no one cares because it's a dying industry. And I said, well, that's where the drama is conflict comes when things are struggling and failing but this a year ago she called up and said okay newspaper hello summer and so we were sitting I was sitting with Patty and with another good writer friend Mary Alice Monroe and I was banging my head against the table I just was like this is it this is it I will be unmasked as the imposter that I am (laughs) how how many books do you have under your belt now well, I have 27 novels and a couple of novellas and some short stories and a cookbook. Well, I, I think I think you're secure. <laughs> yes, I, I don't think unmasked is the right word there. But you know, uh, um, I I don't know. Maybe I don't know if men suffer from imposter syndrome. I think I think for myself and a lot of the women I know, no matter how successful you are, and I've known lots of successful women. Um, there's always this nagging fear at the back of your ha- at the back of your mind that the the jig is up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. always think the knock there'll be a knock at the door and there'll be a Brinks truck and they want the money back. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think that's very true. I um, someone said something nice about me last night and I kind of was feeling good about it and then I thought, oh, something really bad is going to happen today. <laughs> oh, I thought that was just me because no, I'm Irish and superstitious. No, uh, well, I've got more Irish in me than I thought. But, uh, <laughs> When we did the cheek swab, it turned out that the the Kennedys in the family were, in fact, Irish. Ah, mm, interesting. Who they knew? Were, who, and there, much everyone, probably. And there lies a tale. There lies a tale, yes. All right, well, do we want to talk about these other, well. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay. Honey, what do you got? <laughs> so, a good summer read as well. I, I was, it just came out in paperback, and um, other than Hello Summer, which you should definitely be reading, um, and you should definitely get it from E. Shaver Bookseller in Savannah. <laughs> yes, because Mary Kay was lovely and came in and signed all of our copies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but mm-hmm. if not from us, any independent bookseller will absolutely. Do. Um, but I'm going to talk about. I don't think I've talked about this before, but I absolutely loved this book. I don't think so. I don't. I don't think you've talked about. I it. I mean, I've talked about it to customers. And yeah, other people. Y- you talk about it a lot, but I don't think you've talked about it on here. So before. this was my favorite <laughs> book of probably. Gosh, it's been probably two years since I read it as a reader's copy. 
or I listened to it actually on Libro FM, um, and it's the tale of Circe. And I didn't really know the myth of Circe that well. And this kind of, I don't know whether humanizes Circe, but it's a, it's wonderfully written and told. And it is, um, Circe is the daughter of Helios, the, the Titan who is the sun god who drives the chariot across the sky and a beautiful muse nymph. And she is sort of an unremarkable child who doesn't seem to have any great powers and is somewhat neglected in her Family's not that fond of her, and um, she's looking for love in all the wrong places. And she meets up uh, with a mortal and makes has, is a friend, and that ends badly. And ultimately, she finds that her gift is witchcraft, and that she can do a lot with witchcraft. And that makes everyone scared of her, and she's banished to an island where she meets all kinds of interesting gods and humans, and... Um, it, it just goes from there and it's, it's, it's told as a myth and as a story and you'll know all the players as you go along. But the, the thing about it in the end, when it all comes together at the end of her story, it has a deeply satisfying ending. Ah. So you, you kind of go along and think what's going to happen, what's going to happen. She's going to have choices to make. Which world is she going to live in? How is this all going to end? And, um... And in the end, she makes some really interesting and really satisfying choices. And I'll just leave it there. Right. That is Madeline Miller. Madeline Miller, Cersei. This is her second book. Um, she did the Song of Achilles, Achilles which okay. is the story of Achilles and his um, time on the battlefield and his uh, intense friendship with some of his male comrades. And oh. his bum ankle. <laughs> and his bum ankle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, okay, the the next thing I'm going to talk about is something completely different. Um, okay, so people might not know that um, my husband and I, within the last year, bought our first house, and this is because we've never known where we were going to settle down. Um, we've been kind of nomads wandering the earth, um, but he got a job teaching at SCAD, so we're like, okay, Savannah's good. Oh, so, and, and Melissa is also a partner well, yes. So that that definitely did help. Um, so the the next book that I'm talking about is called The Incredible Journey of Plants by Stefano Mancuso. And I picked this up because the house that we bought, the people that owned it beforehand were not exactly yard work people. Um, and so our, our lovely backyard needs some um, TLC. And I know nothing about plants other than how to kill them. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to learn a little bit more about plants, um, but I didn't want to read just a gardening book because that just sounds like death to me. Um, <laughs> but this one is, um, put out by Other Press, which is oh. one of mine and Jessica's favorite small presses. Favorite. Um, they are just lovely humans. They put out a whole interesting array of books they do a lot of um translation yeah a lot of translated literature um they are jonathan rab's publisher who is yes. a savannah native um the owner is fabulous in so many ways yeah um yes their office looks like an art gallery they have a degas on their wall that i swear to god looks like a five-year-old drew it like i thought it was the owner's child's art and i was like Oh, that's very nice. Oh, my God, that's a Degas. <laughs> um, but, okay, so this is 
so the incredible journey of plants is talking about um so it's a neurobiologist who is talking about plant migration and how plants move from place to place and this doesn't sound at all interesting but i'm telling you it really really is so like each chapter is um so it's they're very short chapters and the first one is like pioneers combatants and veterans and so it's talking about um how plants have survived at chernobyl um and how they've come to thrive through that or um the trees that survived the atomic bomb in Hiroshima, um, and then how plants travel from place to place and the various methods for doing that in invasive species. And there's a lot of really interesting history in this book. Like for example, there's a, so there's an invasive species um, called the water hyacinth that people may be familiar with. So at the time that it started um, being a problem in Louisiana, there was actually a plan to release um, hippopotami oh. into Louisiana <laughs> to combat this invasive species, which is something that people do all the time. Like They're like, oh, there's a really bad invasive species, so let's put a predator out to combat that. And that always ends up poorly. So it came down to a vote, and there was one vote against it. And that's the reason that we don't have hippopotami running wild in Louisiana to this that, day. That is just <laughs> what Louisiana needs. Who was a hippopotami hater? That's what I want to know. Uh, well, uh, the, the guy who suggested it was actually um, also suggesting that we use them as a food supply because prudish Americans only want to eat pigs and cows and chickens like when there's all these other sources of protein. Just saying. Yeah, well, we could be living. Who would win? Alligator versus hippopotami. Oh, we, we'd be li- living very different lives now if that had passed. <laughs> but this, it's a very, very small book. It is only 176 pages. Um, the version that I'm reading is an advanced reader copy, but it has um, watercolor drawings in it that I'm sure in the finished copy are absolutely beautiful. But yeah, so The Incredible Journey of Plants. What is the subject? Um, it actually came out in March. Oh, yeah. So your backyard is already landscaped now. Oh, yeah, with a hippopotamus <laughs> grazing. <laughs> Actually, our dad sent her plants and a whole map on how to do them, including what part of the yard is shady and what part oh, of It was color-coded. Like, it was all drawn out. It had measurements. So, like, I had to, like, like take a picture and show him that I could follow directions. <laughs> and thus far, they're still alive. Fingers crossed. But, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, we're cheating a little bit because we had a a, 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 a pre-discussion about this. Uh, I went to a, a public high school in St. Pete, Florida, and we had a really kind of very progressive English department. And I had to read, as I recall, the, it's a it's a tie for the thing classics I hated the most between when lilacs last in dooryard bloomed which is an epic uh, Walt Whitman poem about the um, journey that uh, Abraham Lincoln's um, body makes um, uh, on its way through the country. I'm thinking of George Saunders. Um, oh, Lincoln and the Bardo. Lincoln and the Bardo. Okay, well. <laughs> There's a little bit of, of that yeah. mentioned in there. 
Right. And then also um, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. <laughs> Joseph Conrad. Oh, <laughs> he's got a lot to answer for. In, indeed he does. <laughs> I was assigned in ninth grade by some misguided, probably fresh out of college, English teacher, um, because what ninth grader knows about leaving and coming home again after years away? <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a real slog for me. Although the other, who said She Is Here, which is not a bad book, but I want the images out of my head. Never. never. I, I, that's one that I've, I never had to read, and thus I never did read it. <laughs> I would say if you have... If you have small or younger children, don't read this book. Wait until they're grown or read it before you have children. But while you're in the process of raising children, it's not the time to read this book. All right. I would say classic for me that uh, other than Heart of Darkness, which I didn't get assigned till my freshman year of college, um, I there was nothing I really hated terribly in high school. I just didn't understand why I kept being assigned the Brontes, like, over and over again. And I, I get that I moved around a lot when I was in school. Like, my, my dad would get transferred, and so I, I went to a lot of different schools. But it was just the same Bronte novels over and over again. Like, I never was assigned Jane Austen. I had to, like, pick that up on my own, which I was glad I did because I love her. But, yeah, Wuthering Heights. Oh. <laughs> Jane Eyre. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she needed to stay in the attic. <laughs> there, um, there is a wonderful podcast that is Marlon James and his editor, and it's Marlon and his editor read Dead People. And they talk about the Brontes at length, and it is priceless. And yeah. his editor is always, when he talks about he's like, well, he didn't know how to end a sentence. Well, she didn't know how to end a sentence. Well, no one was also editing them. <laughs> no, um, they wrote some pretty creepy stuff if you think about it, though. I mean, deeply creepy. Oh, yeah, it was absolutely creepy, and I I can do without not reading. The, the graveyard out the window and the what? I didn't, I don't, you know, I think I, I think I maybe, I guess I can tell it now. I'm, it's past the, um, the seven year, um, limit of, um, what's that called? <laughs> what do you know about the restraining order against me? Non-disclosure um, agreement. <laughs> yeah, I, I was supposed to have read it and didn't. I probably uh -oh. read Cliff Notes for uh, Jane Eyre, but I can remember reading the part with, you know, the strange noises upstairs mm -hmm. and being as you know, as probably fourteen, totally freaked. Yeah. Um, my favorite is the um, the cartoon cartoonist or graphic novelist who did the little oh hark a vagrant kate beaton yes um it's like the brontes man watching it's like a cartoon <laughs> about it and it's like he's not dark and brooding enough for me <laughs> it's really funny it's really good so yeah in fact that whole book um yeah hark a vagrant um, um, if you want a good laugh which everyone can use right now and you have a short attention span mm -hmm. hark a vagrant yeah, it, Kate Beaton. It, they're just short comic strips. They're, they're literary for the most part. Yeah, very intelligent really comic strips. Um, yeah, good times. Yeah.
I will say on on the subject of Jane Eyre, I did watch the most recent movie of it, and it had Magneto in it um, playing Mr. Rochester. I can't think of his name off the top of oh, my head. Um, the what I he that I've met. Um, no, not no. no. That's James McAvoy. Yeah, that he him. played Professor X, but yeah, the right. Magneto to his Professor X, who it will come to me Patrick eventually. Stewart? No. No. <laughs> no. This is no. So far over. <laughs> okay. This is so bad. This is all. Visit. All these references are going whizzing over my head. Okay. Um. Anyway, but he. He was in it playing Mr. Rochester, and that made it slightly more bearable. But I still did not enjoy it. So, okay. so Jane Eyre, that's a no for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I, I'm glad I read them. Um, I probably will not revisit them in this lifetime. Perhaps the next. Who knows? Um, All right. It depends on if it's been good or bad. <laughs> Is that on the karmic wheel? <laughs> I don't know. It might be. <laughs> All right, we're really digressing now. So. Um, talk about? Um, the only, okay, so I want to mention very quickly a book called Red Shirts by John Scalzi, and I'm not going to say very much about it because it will ruin it for anyone who's going to read it, because it really is a book that you need to not know a lot about going into. It's called Red Shirts because if anybody's familiar with the series of Star Trek, the red shirts are the poor guys that don't have a name that wear the red shirts and end up going on away missions with the main characters of the show, and they don't make it back from the away missions because they're the expendable ones. Um, so it's it's based off of that idea, and it, it really is hysterical and meta and just so good. Um, and John Scalzi is the author of lots of sci-fi books. Um, he did the Old Man's War series, which I absolutely loved. This one is a little bit different from the other stuff that I've read by him, but hilarious. And so the last thing that I, I want to talk in any depth about um, is the book that I'm reading for this month's Sci-Fi and Fantasy Book Club. Um, it's called The City of Brass by S.A. I'm going to murder this last name. Chakraborty? Maybe? Okay. Um, and it, it's the first in a trilogy, and I actually just got the third one in the trilogy from Harper Collins. They sent me the uh, advanced reader copy, so it, it it made me buy the second one, <laughs> so so I can finish up. Um, but it starts out in Cairo, and it goes back and forth between two different characters. Um, Nari is the first character, and she is a healer, um, and she can heal herself. Um, if she is experiencing um, any sort of wounds, um, but she also makes her living as a healer, and she is capable of actually healing people, but she sort of makes her living as a sham healer. Like, she reads people's tea leaves and, like, really is setting them up for her to steal from them. Um, she doesn't uh, she actually heals people that she notices are sick in the streets and, on you know, QT? yeah, on the QT. So she can, she will either like smell that something's off about somebody or she'll see a shadow on a, on a specific body part or something that's, um, that's, um, diseased and she'll lay her hands on people and kind of wish that they'll get better. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but she does have a, a talent for it and she speaks a language that no one else speaks. Like, she has a talent for languages and can pick them up very quickly, but her native language is one that no one else speaks, and she's never heard it spoken before. 
Um, so she is doing a ceremony one night, which is supposed to help remove a spirit from a child that is troublesome. And again, she's just kind of doing this as a sham thing to make money. She has no intention of removing any sort of spirit from this child. And she decides to sing one of the songs for this ceremony in her native language and inadvertently calls a warrior um, to her aid, which she doesn't mean to do. And so her story kind of goes from there and she learns more about her past. Um, and then the other character is a prince of the Dijin. So if you might recognize that as genies in, um, and so he is um, at odds with his father. He is become the captain of the guards for his father, um, but he does not believe religiously with the same affiliations that his father does. And there's a lot of world building and mythology that I'm not going to do a good job talking about because it's very, very lush. But it's a beautifully written book, um, and it's fantasy set in a world that – I've not read a fantasy novel but in. almost like our own world. Yeah, it's almost like our own world, but it's kind of the the city where the Dijin live is um, kind of veiled from the rest of the world. Okay. This yeah. sounds very good. It, it is very good. Yes, and it's one that's been on my list to read forever, and picking it for the book club made me actually get to read it um and it's it's because the cover is beautiful honestly and that's why i was drawn to it but it's it's very very well written and incredible world building perfect i will move it over to my pile of regrets yes and and so now mary Kay has a question for you or yes. a couple of questions um one so hello summer set in florida yes in near st petersburg no it's actually set in the panhandle oh that's i knew that right sorry that's okay well tell us a little bit about it um, well, speaking of world building, um, I had to go back to the world I left many years ago, which was the news world of newspapers. Um, the protagonist is Conley Hawkins. When we meet her, she's working, um, it's her last day at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and that's the last newspaper I worked at before I started writing fiction. And it's her last day of work. It's her going away party. She's gotten a job with a very prestigious online digital um, investigative outfit in uh, Washington, D.C. And she has broken up with her boyfriend, who also works in the newsroom. And she's been living with him. So she's given up her apartment, broken up with her boyfriend, and, of course, quit her job, ready to go on to this next chapter of her life. And she gets, right before they cut the going away cake, which is a ritual, she gets a text message from her older sister, Grayson. And Grayson is back at home in Silver Bay, Florida, running the family-owned struggling newspaper, the Silver Bay Beacon, which is a really failing weekly paper. And um, Grayson has texted her a link to an online story from the Wall Street Journal saying that the um, publication that Grayson is, that Conley's about to go to work for, has just ceased publication. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she's out of a job, and, you know, she's got no options. So her really only option is to go back to Silver Bay with her tail tucked between her legs, a place that she hasn't lived literally since she went away to college. Um, and I didn't know when I first started writing the book why she didn't want to go back to this seemingly idyllic beach town where her family is, you know, successful, owns the paper, 
And uh, I, did, I didn't know what the issues were. I knew she had them. Um, so she goes back. She moves into her grandmother's um, creaky wooden beach house called the Dunes that's on the Gulf. Mm-hmm. And within, and her grandmother quickly guilt trips her into going to work at the Silver Bay Beacon, the family paper. And she takes on um, the job of ghostwriting the society column for the uh, aging uh, community icon, Rowena Meggs, mm-hmm. who um, really is pretty dotty. And um, this is not a job Conley wants, but her grandmother basically guilt trips her. But on the fr- in the first week she's home, she goes out t- to get a drink. Uh, in Silver Bay, they roll up the sidewalks at 9 o'clock at night. So she goes the only late-night joint which is the American Legion Bar. Yes. 30, <laughs> Got one right around the corner here. Yeah, 30, 30 miles out of town. And she runs into her oldest friend, um, Skelly. He's literally the boy next door. And they drink and have a dance with the jukebox. And then at 3 in the morning, they head home. And they come across on this dark, uh, desolate road at 3 in the morning, a burning car. Oh. And um, they can't rescue the man that's inside the car he he's um he's unconscious and they later learn he's dead and it turns out that he is the district's longtime congressman Ooh. and there lies a tale oh i'm just thinking of our congressman now <laughs> anyway okay we shouldn't go there <laughs> so is the the town a real town no the town is a fictional town i went location shopping mm-hmm. And I actually thought I would set it on the Alabama Gulf Coast, but I, they didn't have what I needed. Okay. So I moved it, up, you know, maybe 150 miles uh, and created a fictional town on the on the panhandle of Florida. So what, 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 what was that need? What was that one specific? I needed a beach mm-hmm. because the grandmother's house is called the Dunes, and it, it's on the Gulf. I needed a town um, that had a sense of place, even if it maybe wasn't a great sense of place. Like Silver Bay is not anywhere near as chic or as posh as Seaside mm-hmm. or any of those um, newfangled towns on 30A and is not as touristy as Panama City Beach or Pensacola or Destin. It's just a, it's a fly speck on the map. Kind of the redneck Riviera. Kind of, yeah. Um, and it's you know the 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 economy isn't great, mm-hmm. which is why the paper is struggling. Um, and so sometimes a story, sometimes a story, I know what the story needs, and it's there. Like for instance, last year's book, Sunset Beach. There was a real Sunset Beach outside of St. Pete where I grew up, and that place had a lot of meaning for me. Um, but this year's book, with Hello Summer, I had to create uh, the setting from scratch. So do you go and stay for any length of time to kind of get a feel for the area? I usually do. This time around, I went, uh, I, as I said, I went to the Alabama Gulf Coast, and it didn't work out. And I had spent enough time on the panhandle of Florida um, that I was able to create you know the place that I needed, but I've you know I've spent some time there, mm-hmm. and um, so that's what happened with Hello Summer, Silver Bay. I just made it all up. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, it, it to build a world, you know, 
even if it is based on our current world, but to, to make up a place like that. Um, so of the characters in, in the new book, who's your favorite secondary character? Oh, that's hard. Um, Rowena Meggs, the, the octogenarian-ish gossip columnist, society columnist, is based on a real character I work with at the Atlanta Constitution. And she was literally an institution. Her name was Yolanda Gwynn. And she mm-hmm. had worked, I sat beside her when I went to work at the paper at the Constitution. And she had been at the Constitution, and this was in the 80s. She had covered the Atlanta premiere of Gone with the Wind. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, she was slightly dotty, <laughs> and that's being kind, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just a real character. And so uh, I based Rowena loosely on Yolanda, or Yoli, as we called her. And there was a story that I, I heard often. I, because when I met her, I thought, how does this lady, how is she even still working here? Because she couldn't spell. She never got any details right. It's a woman after my own heart. She couldn't, I mean, she would get names wrong, dates wrong. It would all be wrong. And I said, how is she even still here? And someone told me a story about she was, she was an Atlanta native. She came from society family. She lived on, had a house on Peachtree Street uh, in Buckhead. And someone told me a story about at one point years earlier, an editor had gotten so fed up with running corrections on Yoli's column that he had fired her. And she called all of her friends, and they subsequently called Dick Rich, who owned Rich's department store, which at the time was the Constitution's largest advertiser. And all of them said, well, Dick, now if you fire Yoli, we are going to cut up our Rich's credit cards. And so Dick Rich called, this was the story, it may be apocryphal, I don't know, but it's etched <laughs> in institutional memory. Apparently Dick Rich called the Constitution and said, no, 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 this won't do. Oh. <laughs> so that kind of story played into, so, and, and uh, Rowena is not a nice lady. She's not a sweet little lady by any means. So I had fun work, I had fun creating her. So sometimes the the not so nice characters are my favorite characters. <laughs> they're the, they're the most interesting. Well, uh, you know, Pollyannas are not very realistic. No, no, no. I like a character with what I call texture. Mm-hmm. But most people won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they're interesting, they if they're interesting, <laughs> that's right. Well, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. That's true. That's true. Yes. Well. I um, think that's all we have for this. It's cocktail time, right, ladies? cocktail time. (laughs) Time for a drink. (laughs) Time for a drink. It's really been nice having you. Thank you for coming and talking with us in our weird little um, podcast. Thank you. It's been my privilege. This has been fun. So we, we enjoy having guests. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be a guest. All right. So if you heard anything that sounds interesting, especially Hello Summer, um, be sure to order from either eshaverbooks.com or from your local independent bookseller and we will see you well talk to you next time (laughs) take care be safe out there bye